Good morning, friends. So good to be with you. So good to be together and look out the windows. I'm downstairs in my office, so I have no windows, but it's glorious outside and nice to be able to just stay home and be together. I, uh, I want to give a huge shout out to the Schmores because, man, how many times have you had that experience where the computer just isn't working? As a matter of fact, it's happening now where the computer just isn't working and you're trying as hard as you can to, to make it work and to do things, push the right buttons, and it's just not working no matter, you don't know where that magic button is and you just feel like throwing your computer through the wall. That is what the Schmores are experiencing right now as we speak. And we just bless you, Randy and Shelley Schmore, with divine patience, with the knowledge that our lives don't aren't made or breaked broken by by how well this call goes or how well this webinar goes. We're just with you in it. Love you so much. Um, wow, what a what a morning, huh? All right. Well, I think you can hear me, whether or not you can see me. Is that right? Can you comment or chat? Can you hear me? Are we good to go? Yes. All right. Gentef, what would we do without you online? Oh, you can see me too. Wow. All right. Good. I'm just going to just imagine and talk like this is working perfectly. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit. ever-present, eternal life that has existed for all times and will never end. This eternal, good, beautiful life that is your existence, your life, and you invite us into it. That's incredible. You invite us into yourself. You invite us into your life. You invite us into your presence. You invite us into your reality. That's your greatest desire is a union and communion with us. How can it be? And so Holy Spirit, would you draw us in? We can't do it ourselves. We can't it's, it's so hard to tap into that divine reality. We need you, Holy Spirit. So draw us in more, whether it's through my words, whether it's through something to totally different. Pull us in a little deeper. I want more access to you, Holy Trinity. I want more embodied experience with you and your life. I want more prophetic and right now words and reality from you. I just want more. We want more. We're all around this city, all around this region, all around, there's people all around the country. We just want more of you. So we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we are in week four. We're halfway through this sermon series that we have titled The Contemplative Journey. The Contemplative Journey, simply this, this journey that I feel has been so needed 
for so long. Whether 2020 did or didn't happen, whether or not we're still in this crazy moment, it's needed. But even more so, these last 11 months have been just a wild, chaotic roller coaster of a ride. And I feel like we need this invitation into something deeper, something more peaceful, something more healthy for our souls than the emotional roller coaster we've been on for the last 11 months. And it's not just 2020, this contemplative journey that we're being invited into, friends. It will help us prepare for any moment in life. When catastrophe or calamity hits, when loss happens, this contemplative journey is like training for the reality and the craziness of life, to be able to hold all things, because God holds all things. Rejoice, rejoicing and lament, loss and gift. We have a God who holds it all, and so He's invite, God's inviting us to hold it all as well. We had the gift of having Mark Werner with us. I, I, he said that he was going to join us on the call today, um, either on Facebook or Zoom. So if, if you're with us, Mark, thank you for blessing us these last couple of weeks. I told you, Bruce City, that you're going to enjoy and, and just have this rich experience with Mark, Mark Werner, my spiritual director. And uh, that's happened. It's been so rich, so beautiful. And I love every time Mark says that he's a beginner at this contemplative journey, I laugh and smile. Because if Mark's a beginner, I haven't even started. I mean, I'm just dabbling like one toe into the, into the ocean that is contemplative journey if Mark Werner is a beginner. What we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, starting today, is Shelly and I are going to just share with you our contemplative journey. This is less of a sermon and more of just a reflection and kind of a Here's, here's my journey. Here's my relationship with the contemplative journey. Here's how I've begun. Here's how I'm starting. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but up until, I don't know, a while ago, years ago, probably about 10 years ago, up until about 10 years ago, if you would have come up to me and told me that you um, are on this contemplative journey and you love contemplative prayer and you're you have a contemplative spirituality I would have written you off as a new agey whack job anybody else maybe you're still there maybe maybe you're listening to us and you're just like this is a bunch of new agey mumbo jumbo but I'm gonna listen to it so I that I and I'm gonna take notes so I can give them some uh, some good feedback right that would have been me 10 years ago. Then I started opening a little bit to this idea of contemplative prayer and contemplative spirituality. Started reading about it. People who I trusted and enjoyed and loved started talking about it. So I started reading about it, but I never really encountered it. I never really lived it. And I surely never would have shared it with you, Bruce City Church. See, because there's, there's a difference between what pastors say and what, what pastors think and what they're thinking about and what they believe even sometimes and what they'll share from up front. You have no idea. It's like one of the biggest trade secrets within pastoral work. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to colleagues and friends who are pastors who would tell me, well, I, I think this, but I'd never say that to my church. 
just giving you a little glimpse behind the curtain. And I'd like to think that I'm more transparent than most that I know. I, 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 I can trust you with a lot, Bruce City Church. You're a mature, we are a mature church family. And half the time that pastors say that to me, I, I want to say, just share that with your church. They need to hear it. This contemplative journey was one of those things that I kind of hid from you a little bit. Because I didn't want to get written off as a new agey whack job. I didn't want to get written off as a heretic. But then something happened. Something in my world kind of just got dropped on me and the contemplative journey for me began. Does anybody, let's just comment or chat, Does anybody? can anybody guess what that moment for me was where my contemplative journey just started to begin? Anyone there? I read something by Richard Rohr. Well, that's that, that was that was a good beginning, yes, Jen. But that wasn't it. Anybody else? Oh yes, Abby Trionic, thank you. Sabbatical happened. Sabbatical happened and then I was actually able to tap into this contemplative journey. I had three months. You guys gave me three months where you just the, the elders told me don't even think about Bruce City Church for three months. Drop everything. Don't answer your phone. Don't answer any texts. Don't talk to us even. I had no contact with anybody from Bruce City Church except for this tiny, tiny group. And they weren't allowed to share anything. I mean, my wife works for Bruce City Church and she wasn't allowed to share anything with me. And things were happening. Things were going down. And I knew nothing about it. It took me a whole month to forget about all of this. It took me a whole month to detox and to just get this thing that is called Bruce City Church out of my mind, out of my insides, and to just transition from being a human doing into a human being. That was just my job. And all of a sudden I could access this contemplative journey. I started to live it more than just read about it or think about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I also had this amazing man named Mark Werner who was my spiritual director who guided me through on a, every other week basis this sabbatical. I know I'm making you jealous. I'm sorry. Every human being should get a three-month sabbatical every couple, several, seven years. But things changed, and I want to share with you this morning a few things that cha have changed since I've just just begun on this contemplative journey, just, since I've just started trying to tap into this beautiful stream that is contemplative spirituality. The first thing that changed for me is my prayer life. My prayer life. Now, when you think about prayer and you think about Bruce City Church, those two things should be almost synonymous. We are a part of the 24-7 prayer movement. It's a global movement, and we are a part of it. We are considered, even within it, a resource center church in the in the region. So we're we're, we resource ourselves to, to, to other churches in the region. I just spoke a week ago to a, a church up in the Toronto area. That's a 24-7 church and um, just walking with their leaders on, on, on a little bit of how to in certain areas. So we as a church, we love prayer. We're all about it. And when you think about prayer for Bruce City Church, you probably think about a couple of things. 
For, pra for us, prayer looks like harp and bowl prayer, we call it. Harp and bowl prayer and worship. If you've been around Bruce City Church pre-pandemic, you remember that every once in a while, you have a prayer leader and a worship leader or a worship band, and those two kind of feed off of each other, and it lends itself to this really beautiful movement of the Spirit where I'm just, me or another prayer leader is just pouring their guts out in prayer, asking God to... to to reveal God's self and to, to, to move and to work and to act in our midst. And it's powerful. It's beautiful. I usually wind up hollering and screaming. And it's a, it's a fun time for me. I don't know about anybody else. That's part of what I think about when I think about prayer. Another thing that I think about when I think about prayer in Bruce City Church are prayer rooms. Pre-pandemic, we, we host regular prayer rooms at numerous different times in the year. Sometimes those prayer rooms are just just to be a prayer room, just to acquaint ourselves more with the practice of prayer and to, to commit ourselves as a church to prayer and to say, what might happen if we spend three or four days straight, 24-7 in prayer? Beautiful things have happened. We've heard amazing, remarkable stories about the Spirit of God meeting people in that place of prayer. Sometimes we pray into a social justice uh topic like racism in our city or poverty in our city and we cry out to God for that sometimes we've also done prayer rooms asking God for direction as a church beautiful things but see when I talk about prayer being something that's changed for me in this contemplative journey I had this moment early in my sabbatical where things just changed for me with prayer. I was cutting my grass. I think I've told you this story before, but just in case you didn't hear it or you forgot, I'm going to tell you again. I was cutting my grass, and this is a couple weeks into my sabbatical. And I'm one of those guys that I enjoy cutting my grass. I like to let my wife think that I don't so that it can be kind of like chalked up as a chore. Do you know what I'm talking about? But truth be told, she's probably watching. Sorry, baby. Um, I like cutting my grass. Like you, It's going to be hard to give that job away to my kids. Because I listen to a podcast and I just, I love being outside. I love being in the sun. And I was listening to a podcast and something prompted something within me. Something was provoked in my spirit and I just felt like praying. So I pushed pause on the podcast. And I was feeling kind of holy, kind of righteous in that moment. And I was like, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to push pause on this guy who's talking that I really enjoy, and I'm going to talk to God instead. Do you know what that feels like? Like, okay, let's pray. Let's do this. And I started praying. I started saying some words, and all of them were hollow and empty. Have you ever had that moment in prayer? Or maybe is that your experience with prayer? Where it's just, the, those words just seem, there's nothing going on. It just seems hollow and empty. That was that moment for me. And I had this feeling of like, I can't do this. I cannot, I cannot say any more words. I cannot pray like this. It, this, this isn't working for me. And I, I actually had a, had a, almost an internally violent reaction against it. I had this moment of crisis prayerfully while I'm sitting there trying to cut straight lines in my yard. And then I felt and kind of heard, I didn't hear any words, but I just felt the Spirit inviting me into something different. And I felt or heard the Spirit say, you don't have to conjure my presence with your words, just so you know. 
I felt the Spirit inviting me and saying, just so you know, there's not a spot in this neighborhood where I don't already exist. Just so you know, my presence is thick and heavy and weighty and fills up everywhere that you look around you in your neighborhood. I'm here. No amount of karma or understanding is going to change that on your behalf. Now you're just welcome here with me. And I had one of those moments where I didn't want to say a word, but I just wanted to exist in communion with God, with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of the Spirit that was already there and has been there for all time. And I just had this reality where I said, this is what I want my prayer life to look like. I got done cutting the grass and I went and sat on my patio table because I didn't want the moment to end and I just felt the presence of God in an almost tangible way and I didn't have to say a word. And it felt more prayerful than I had ever felt maybe in my life. And that was the moment for me. Since then, my goal, and I want to say my goal because I don't want you to trick I want don't want to trick you into thinking that I'm an expert at this or that this is my my everyday moment by moment reality but my goal friends my goal is that prayer would be a constant experience of communion with God rather than little moments of interaction with God I'm going to say that again in case you're taking notes or, or because that's an important statement that I just said my goal on this contemplative journey, on my spiritual journey, which it, when I say spiritual journey, I just mean the whole of my existence. My goal is that prayer for me would be a constant experience of communion with God rather than momentary interactions with God. Do you get that difference? Do you sense it and feel it? The way I look at it is I want to have a, a, an existence with God or a prayerful existence with God, kind of like a COVID spouse. Now, that sounds weird, but let me, let me explain. Sarah and I, my wife, we've never spent more time with each other than we have in these last 11 months. I mean, like we, we both work from home. The kids are home and we are constantly together. I mean, it's insane the amount of time that we've had with each other. And the fun thing to report is that we're ne we've never been better. We're, we're having a good time with each other. But our COVID life has been like we're, we're always together. And sometimes we're interacting with one another. Sometimes we're talking with one another. Sometimes we're, we're looking to, into each other's eyes and, and really and sharing with one another and talking. In many other moments, most other moments, we're not talking to each other, but we're still in the same room. And we're very much present to one another. I get to be present with her in the same room, not talking to her, watching her, enjoying her presence. And that for me is what I, what most of my prayer life has turned into. Prayer for me has looked like less interaction and intercessory prayer and more just presence with God. Let me tell you what that practically looks like. It practically looks like when I feel like I need to recenter, I'll just go and take a walk. And on my walk, it's, it's, you could call it a prayer walk, 
but it's not a normal prayer walk. For me, prayer walks used to mean that I'm going to walk and I'm going to pray for every house around me and I'm going to pray that this the Spirit of God would explode in revival and, and I want to hear a word from the Lord and this, that, and the other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now my prayer walks look like trying to say nothing at all and just being present with the God who is all around me all the time, with the God who's filling creation around me with God's presence. And I just try to be present with who and what's around me. And that's my prayer. Sometimes I'm taking a walk and I try to try to be prayerful, try to do some contemplative prayer, centering prayer, being quiet, being present with God. And sometimes my mind wanders and races and I think about the sermon coming up or I think about this task that I've got coming up or I think about this this any other, any normal thing, and I have to recenter. I don't judge myself. I don't hate myself for it. I just say, no, I'm here to be with you, God. And I try to just get that stuff out of my mind and be present with the divine life that's all around me. For me, that's more of what prayer looks like. Sometimes in the summer, I'll take my kids to the pool. And my kids are begging me to come into the pool, but I, I, I resist for a while because I want to have some time in prayer. And what prayer looks like at the pool is not crying out to God or interceding for the people around me that the Spirit of God would reveal the Spirit to God to, to that, those people. That's a beautiful thing, and I can do that, and I still have room for that. But more of what prayer looks like for me if I take my kids to the pool is I, I'm present with everything around me. And I sense and see the presence of God in and through everything around me, whether that's kids playing and I get to see the beauty of the image of God of relationship and play and celebration. Or that's moms talking and connecting with one another. And I get to see this beautiful divine reality of connection and connect connectivity and relationship. Or if it's the, in the trees around me. And I get to see the presence of Jesus, of the Christ, the cosmic Christ, and things like the trees around me. They are not God, but God is in them because the Apostle Paul, because the scriptures say they do. And I get to soak in the divine presence. I get to soak in God's presence. And that, for me, is so spiritually nourishing, I can't even tell you, friends. I still have room and I still do intercede for things. I still do pray for you actively with words. I still do pray for the people that I say I'm going to pray for you. I do that. But sometimes I say words and sometimes I hold you in my heart and in my spirit. And I let the spirit intercede. Because I trust that the spirit is because the scriptures say the spirit is interceding for us. The contemplative journey has changed my prayer life and my goal, again, is that prayer for me looks like constant communion with God rather than intermittent, momentary interactions with God. So prayers change for me. What else has, has changed for me in, in this? Here's, here's what's a, a way that I practice contemplative spirituality is the practice of presence. The practice of presence. You heard me talking about being present with God or being present with the things around me. This is such a counter-cultural counter 
thing to do. It's a counterintuitive thing to do, see, because we are taught in our, we're programmed in our culture to commoditize everything in every interaction we have. We are taught to be consumers. And so that means that every interaction, every relational connection, every conversation we have, we kind of have this thought of what's in it for me. I used to work at a, a sales uh, in sales and we had plastered all over the office was this mantra this phrase that said what's in it for me what's in it for me because we knew that every customer every client that we talked to had that in their mind every, the whole time they were talking to us they were thinking what's in it for me what can you offer me what's my ROI what's my return on investment and this is how we are just programmed in our culture to live in whether it's relationships whether it's in the church that we serve at whether it's conversations and the contemplative journey has invited me to see every conversation as an invitation, friends. I feel like the Spirit, when I'm really paying attention, and I don't do this very often, but when I'm paying attention, I get this transformative process where a conversation goes from being a... a a thing where I'm assessing how long do I have to talk to this person for and what can I say to make them feel valued and then how do I get out of this conversation am I the only one who's had that experience who talk, who, who does that and I move into this place where I see that conversation as invitation to just to see the divine image in that person being present with whoever and whatever I'm with is a key for me in the contemplative journey. This practice of presence, being present in the moment because it's the only true thing that we have. And now if, I, if this sounds familiar, it's because this is what we learned from Kohelet last year in the book of Ecclesiastes, where Kohelet was encouraging us and saying, don't be preoccupied with what's in the future and what's to come. You can't change the future. Don't be preoccupied and obsessed with the past because you can't change that either. Here's the only place you can actually do something and affect something and experience the life of God, and it's in this present moment. Stay rooted in this present moment. This is Kohelet's encouragement to us, and I'm finding that this is the key to contemplative spirituality being present in the moment wherever you find yourself. So let me give you a couple of practical tips that I've received. Now you're gonna really think I'm crazy for these ones, all right? Just giving you this warning. Get to know the names of a dozen or 20 trees in the area that you live. That's it. That's the tip. Get to know the names of trees that are in your yard or in your neighborhood like research it get a book i was walking we were walking through wilderness area yesterday with my daughter and my wife and i said i'm gonna get a book about wisconsin trees and i'm gonna learn all these trees names and my daughter <laughs> looked at me like i was nuts okay dad one of those looks you know but here's the thing i feel like i can actually be present with things like even trees if i know their names Get a bird book and research online what birds are in your neighborhood, in your yard. I've done this. It helps me actually be present with them more when I know their names. It helps me root myself in this present moment, knowing the names 
of the nature around me. See, when, when I went to Arizona, we went to Arizona for uh, a wedding not long ago, and it was in Sedona, Arizona. Now, if you've been to Sedona, you know how magical that is. Sedona is just, if you have the privilege of traveling, if you have the means to travel, put that on your list if you haven't been to Sedona. It's incredible. And it's full of these red rock formations that are just everywhere and it takes your breath away. They're just one after another. And see, what I did when I was in Sedona is I researched and I tried to learn the names of as many of those rock formations as I could. Because I realized that if I didn't get to know their names, I would just pass from one to the other being like, oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Whoa, look at that one. That's really cool. Whoa, look at that one. Oh, there's one. I would just pass by them and kind of commoditize them. I would just, it would be a blur. But what I realized is that if I get to know their names, because they all had names, Cathedral Rock or, or there, I mean, there's tons of names to these rock formations. And when I got to know their names, I actually got to feel like I was there with them a little bit more. And I felt the presence of Christ in that area when I got to know their names. Again, I know that this sounds way wacky and new agey and weirdo, but it's 100% within my Christian orthodoxy. See, because I believe in the divine logos that John, the Apostle John talked about in John 1, that the, the, the divine logos, the divine word of God, his name is Jesus, and that Jesus was with God in the beginning and that all things were created by this divine logos and they were created with his word and that he, in the incarnation, even inhabited our fleshly, our flesh experience and God inhabits all things, Paul said. Christ is all and Christ is in all. So that means that when I'm actually paying attention and being present with these things around me in the created world, I'm actually paying attention to the divine life. These are just little practical things that I do to try to live life in a more contemplative way, to tap into the divine life that's all around me all the time that most of the time I miss. And I don't want to anymore. I want to live life awake. Awake to the reality and the presence of God wherever and whenever that is. Whenever I'm in existence. These are just little things that help me. Contemplative prayer, practicing presence, naming things and under knowing the names of the things and the nature around me. Here's another, here's another little thing that I'm, it's my goal, it's I'm trying so hard. Within con contemplative spirituality, there's not a whole lot of room for judgment. There's not a whole lot of room for judgment, but holy moly, is it easy to live in judgment, isn't it? The third tip, the third thing that I'm, that I'm trying to, it's my goal to live out, is to kiss judgment goodbye. Kissing judgment goodbye. Now, if you're like me, maybe I'm unique, maybe I'm just the worst person of us, but there's a lot of of opportunities in our world right now to put labels on people. And when I say put labels on people, I just mean judge people. Put them in a box, in a category. And I spend way too much time obsessing over those categories, obsessing over those boxes and types, and I put 
an identity on people, whether that's masker or non-masker. I spend way too much time obsessing over that, or whether that's COVID hoaxer, non-hoaxer, whether that's Democrat or Republican, or whether that's Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, or whether that's suburban, rural, or urban, or whether that's Trumper or never Trumper. What you, you fill in the blank, there's all these labels and categories that we put each other in. And then maybe I'm, I'm, I'm unique, maybe I'm the only one that does this, but I have these imaginary conversations with people that I, with people that I love, people that I care for. Anybody else with me where you, I, I will spend an hour and a half working on a project around my house and the whole time I'll be having an imaginary conversation with a person that I love that I fundamentally disagree with and I'm disturbed by what they think. You know what I'm talking about? Or you, you spend a half hour putting together that hypothetical Facebook post that's going to change the world and change everybody's mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? I'll, I'll be in these moments of obsessing over what people that I care about think and how, how wrong they, I think they are. And then all of a sudden I'll have a moment of sobriety. And I don't say that accidentally, that moment of sobriety, because it really feels like I get drunk on judgment in those moments. And I just, I almost lose myself to it. But then, in that moment of sobriety is always brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's always an invitation from the Holy Spirit. And that invitation, that moment of sobriety says, you have an invitation to see that person as God does. And to know that, I need to know that I can't change that person. I'm not going to post the perfect status that's going to get them to change their mind. I'm not going to say the enlightened thing that's going to get cause the light bulb to go off. All I can do is just include and embrace them because they've been fearfully and wonderfully made, the scripture says. I have a moment of sobriety and realize that my job isn't to fix them. My job isn't to expose them. My job isn't to, to prove myself as correct. My job is simply to love them. That is the only thing that's under my control, whether I'm going to live in judgment of them or whether I'm going to love them. And see, friends, I think too many of us in this progressive culture think that in order to fight for and fight against injustice and oppression, we need to we need to like name this stuff so much that we actually get so obsessed about it. We make people and friends and, and into our enemies. And we forget that they are divine image bearers. We forget that God is in love with them. And I'm not saying stop fighting against injustice and oppression so that we can just love everyone. I'm saying as you fight for injustice and oppression, which is not an option for a Christian, as you fight against injustice and oppression, don't turn the people who disagree with you into your enemy. Fight against it as hard as you can. Resist that urge and impulse to see people who disagree with you as your enemy. That will get nothing accomplished except for solidifying this reality and, and hardness of judgment within yourself. Can we kiss judgment goodbye and see every interaction as an invitation into the divine life? And here's my last little tidbit of what 
the contemplative journey has done to me in these last couple of years is I just begin to dabble in it. As I just begin to have the goal of walking deeper into it, my vision and view of God has expanded dramatically. This bullet point would be an ever-expanding God. If we were at the building and had the screens up, it would say behind me, an ever-expanding God, because that is what I've experienced in these last couple of years. My God is completely different than the God that I had ten, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20, 25, oh my goodness. My understanding of God has been on a trajectory of growth and expansion, and I feel like that's been the healthy thing in all of this contemplative journey. See, the God that I grew up with and the God that I knew was far more tribal. The God that I knew was far more petty and far more transactional than the God that I have now. See, the God of the cosmos, the God of the universe that I'm being introduced to on a moment-by-moment -moment basis is infinitely complex and deep and wide and so far out of my limited understanding that it fills me with absolute wonder. Wonder has been my closest friend these last couple of years. I've realized how much of wonder I lacked, how much certainty I lived with, that I thought that I had God all figured out. And I've been repenting of that, that thought for a long time. The further I go on this contemplative journey, the more I realize that I'll never have God figured out, but it's my pleasure to spend my life trying. I'll never have God figured all out. Never. But I'm going to give myself to trying as hard as I can. And that, friends, is a beautiful journey. And when God gets the idea and reality of God gets so big to me that I feel overwhelmed, because that does happen sometimes when I, when I open myself and think about the, the depth and vastness of the universe, that we only know just a small percentage of the universe. And what we know is mind-blowingly big in that my God created all that when I open myself to science sometimes I get overwhelmed by thinking how could I ever hope to know you does anyone else ever have that thought my my wonder of God sometimes gets so big and then that's when the contemplative journey invites me more again into the particular and you know what I root myself in to the person of Jesus because this unknowable, transcendent, immense God that created the cosmos, that has been in existence for all eternity and will always be in existence, that God chose to reveal that God's self in and through the person of Jesus in this particular scandalous moment of the incarnation and said, this is who I am. That's what I root myself in, in this contemplative journey, my spiritual journey. And we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you a couple of books that have been good tools for me. And we can, I'll put this in the chat when we have our next song. First book that I want to tell you about is The Sacred Journey by Ruth Haley Barton. The Sacred Journey, it will just, that book just gives you kind of, invites you into this monastic 
rule of life, this monastic way of living intentionally and opening ourselves to contemplative spirituality. Another one is called the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. She's a student of Ruth, Ruth Haley Barton, but in there you'll find just practices to engage your spirit on this contemplative journey. Another one that I've talked about is this book of poetry called Gorillas of Grace by Ted Loder. Gorillas of Grace. Get it and just read one poem and just sit there in it. And then see God all around you. I've got other resources that we'll share in a couple of weeks, but I'm just going to invite you. Let's, friends, the, this verse has been rolling around in my head as I've been thinking about you, as I've been preparing and thinking about this, this message. And this verse is from Philippians 1. I think it's Philippians 1.21. It's a famous verse that we all know where Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know that verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we, I feel like we in the church have mostly fixated on the second part of that statement where we say, whoa, did you hear what Paul said where he said to die is gain? That is faith, that he could look at death as being better than, as being the preferred option. And I don't think Paul was suicidal in that moment. He was just saying, I know that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I believe that I'm gonna be with my, my savior and that's better, that's gain. And so we fixate on that. But for me, what's been the most profound thing is this, the first half of that statement where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. I want that. I want to live in such a way that I can say, for me to live is just Christ. That I live in communion with Christ. I don't have to have three times a day when I hit my knees in prayer. I live in communion with Christ. Christ lives in and through me. That, for me, is my goal in life is to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. That's just as simple as it gets. So Holy Spirit, would you invite us into this life that is Christ? Would you invite us into prayer that is communion? Would you draw us into being present with you in every moment we find ourselves in, with every interaction, with every person, with every created thing around us? Would you invite us into this place of non-judgment, this place of loving and not having a list of enemies? Draw us in deeper. There's this deep well that is your life, Father, Son, and Spirit. We want access to it. We want more of it. And you say, I hear it right now, you say, you have access to it. God is saying, you have access to me, full access. There's no barriers. Come and welcome. We're going to worship one more time, I think. And as we do, I'm just going to invite us to, to know and to hear that voice of God that says, you have access to me. There are no barriers. Come and welcome. We say yes to you, Jesus.